Hosea chapter 3, Hosea 3, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Five verses. So we're continuing the, the series on marriage and family, and tonight I'm going to talk to you about healing after adultery. Many verwaardraaktes in idolatry and adultery. Adultery means sexual sin. Idolatry means worshipping other gods. Actually, adultery is a form of idolatry. So healing after adultery. Geneesing na echtbreek. Kom ons bid saam. Our Father in heaven, we draw near to the throne of grace. We come to you, the Most High, the Lord of glory, the God of salvation, and the God of all grace, the God of all comfort. And we lay our lives and ourselves before you as servants of the Most High, as children of our Father in heaven. And we ask that you would guide our feet in the ways of righteousness for your name's sake. You would give us instruction, encouragement, grace, and comfort. Also, as we hear the word expounded and explained tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. On 10 December 1914, Thomas Edison, his factory burnt down. And as it was on fire, the factory is ablaze. Thomas Edison says to his son Charles, run quickly, call your mother and her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. <laughs> and his son protested. The son said, but dad. And he said, don't worry. We're getting rid of, rid of a lot of rubbish. <laughs> and he said, tomorrow we start rebuilding. It was in 1914, uh, the figure rose to a million dollars worth of damage, 900 and something thousand worth, worth of damage. And his friend Henry Ford, some of you know him well, I think Willem, don't you drive a Ford? <laughs> so his friend Henry Ford loaned him the money, well, the, the almost million dollars, so he could rebuild the factory. And within that year, Thomas Edison made $10 million. <laughs> so, it sounds quite romantic and wonderful and quite nice to say you, you just start rebuilding your factory tomorrow when it burns to the ground. It's not so easy with a marriage that burns down. It's not so easy when a marriage crumbles and falls to pieces. Uh, I remember a lady saying to me many years ago, and, she, and her husband had committed adultery years and years before, and even at that stage, they were still married, but she had tears in her eyes when she told me that her husband was unfaithful. But although it's hard to rebuild a marriage after sexual sin, after adultery, it is possible with the grace of God, like two cases I know, that was a success. The marriages were rebuilt after adultery. And as we see in Hosea chapter 3, so you can follow on the screen, the English Standard Version, or if you have it on your lap, please follow. And the Lord said to me, this is to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethech of barley. Uh, that's a kind of measurement. And barley in Afrikaans, in your Bible, say chars. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore, prostitute, or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice, or without Sacrifice or pillar without ephod, I'll explain that just now, or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The latter day of the last day. So we're going to look at three words this evening. First word is love. 
So if you want to rebuild a marriage when there's been sexual sin, this is what is needed, love. That's in verse 1 and 2. Now you know as well as I that the world confuses being in love with love. They think that that feeling you have when your stomach turns upside down and the butterflies in your tummy, and they think that's love. But that is not what the Bible's, how the Bible defines and explains love. In the Bible, love is much more than just a feeling. It's much more than just an emotion. Love is about sacrifice. Love is about commitment. Love is about devotion. Love is about placing the other person's needs and desires above your own. Like we read in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says you can, you can give up everything you have. You can sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. You can give the money to the poor. You can give your body even to be burnt as a sacrifice to say, look at the sacrifice I'm making. And you can do that, but without love, it profits nothing. Without love, it means nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful and so on. So when Hosea now goes, now he, his wife has been unfaithful to him. She's committed adultery. Now he goes in verse 1 and he buys her back. Verse 1 and 2. I don't think he had a feeling of being in love, this warm, fuzzy feeling. Oh, I feel this, this chocolate in my heart and flowers, roses. I don't think he, he felt romantic, but he wanted to honor God because God said, go and buy back your wife. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to, to recommit. He wanted to renew and strengthen the marriage covenant. So he wanted to love her the way God loved Israel. When Israel committed adultery, Israel committed a spiritual adult, adultery by worshiping false gods, especially Baal in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. They worshiped the idol called Baal, the false god called Baal. And yet God takes them back and God forgives them. As we see in verse 1 at the end, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, offering these, these raisin cakes to the gods. Now, to give you a bit of background to the story, so this prophet called Hosea, or Hosea, in chapter 1 verse 2, God tells him, I want you to go and marry this woman. Her name is Gomer. Uh, go and marry this woman. She's a prostitute. But I want you to marry the woman. And that's what he does in chapter 1, verse 2. And while they're married, so this is, they haven't been married a, a very long time. And he finds out, oh, we're going to have a baby. And then he finds out, oh, it's not my baby. This is not my kid. My wife's been sleeping around. And you see that in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, when he gives the baby a name. He gives the child a name. And the Lord said, call the baby uh, in verse 9 not my people. Because Israel's not my people, but that baby's not, it's not your child. And so you can think of the pain, and actually the Hebrew, it uses a, a tense in the Hebrew, an, an intensive form, to show this is very intense, and this is very, she's committed adultery more than once. So she's very unfaithful, this woman. And there's some of you sitting here maybe tonight, some of you listening to the recording later on, or online now, the live stream, and your wife has been unfaithful, or your husband has been unfaithful to you. And I want to say to you this evening, the Lord understands your pain. He understands your pain. He's been through this, not once, many times, when His people have just been unfaithful again and again, turning to other gods, turning, even us as Christians, when we backslide and we, we fall in love with other things, and we find our joy in other things. So the Lord understands and what you want to do and should do, if you're going to rebuild a marriage, is you, you should follow the Word of God. You should follow the instructions given to you and the things I'm going to tell you tonight from the Word. So first of all, you want to ask yourself, what led to the breakdown of my marriage? What was it? Was it communication problems? Was it bitterness? Uh, you didn't want to forgive? Was it sexual coldness and, and indifference and coldness in the sexual relationship? Was it fighting about money? Was it problems with the in-laws? Uh, was it a, an unbiblical view of marriage? Maybe an unbiblical application and uh, way of applying the marriage roles, or perhaps pornography. What was it? 
that started the breakdown. That's the great cause of breakdown. And that's the issue you want to address. You want to address. So I've been preaching now since, what was it? When did I start this series on marriage? In March or February? So I've been preaching on this for months. Go back to those sermons and say, ah, our issue was we didn't know how to deal with conflict. Then you start working through, the, through those things. And if you can't do it on your own, then work with a devoted Christian brother or sister, with a, with a biblical counselor to say, let's work through the, the matters and deal with it. All right, so that's for that side. Let's go to the other side. Maybe you are the guilty party. You are the one who committed adultery. What about you? Confess your sins to God, like David did. In Psalm 51, when he committed adultery, he confessed his sin to the Lord. And then once you've done that, because there may be some of you sitting here tonight, you have done that. Once you've done that, you've confessed your sins. Don't keep on beating up yourself. Muni yourself on Oslani. God has forgiven you. I know the consequences are painful. I know consequences remain often, but your sins are forgiven. Ruth read it tonight. Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. Remind yourself of verses like that. Remind yourself of verses like um, Psalm 25 verse 7, where David says, remember not the sins of my youth. Please do not remember the foolish things I did when I was young, Lord. Remember that God removes your sins from you as far as the east is from the west, that he tramples your sins under his feet, that he casts it in the deepest ocean, that he blots it out, that he, he removes your sin like a, a misty cloud is, disappears before the sun. Remember that he forgives you through the blood of his son, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins, that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you. Of your sins. And you listening to me saying this tonight, quoting these verses, also Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, I will think of their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. You hear me quoting all these verses, and many of you think this is irrelevant to me because I haven't committed adultery. But what other sins have you done? What other sins have we committed? Remember the promises of God. Because very often we lick our wounds, we ask for forgiveness, and then we keep on licking our wounds or we keep on beating ourselves for those sins. God has forgiven them. Why do you want to remember what God does not? And then confess your sins to your spouse. Spouse, your mart. No, your living smart. Your husband or your wife. And be very specific. Confess, I've committed adultery. Confess, I lied to you. Confess, I was a hypocrite because I acted as if I'm serving the Lord and I wasn't. So confess those sins. Don't excuse your sin. Don't blame shift. Don't say, yes, I committed adultery, but you. No, nothing but you. Acknowledge your own sin and ask for forgiveness. And then if your wife or your husband asks for forgiveness, they're the guilty party, you're the innocent party, then forgive Forgive. Jesus said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If, you're, if, he, if, you, if he repents, forgive him. And even if he comes seven times a day and says, I repent, you must forgive him. Remember how the Lord forgave you. And then you do the same to your spouse, your husband or wife. Remember G uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 32, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. If the Lord forgave you, then you also should forgive. Don't, don't give your thoughts to daydreaming, thinking over the situation again. Oh, what did my wife do to me? Oh, I just remember all the... Don't go over it again and again. If the Lord forgives you, Hebrews 10 verse 17, He says, I will remember their sins no more. So do not remind yourself of your husband's sin or your wife's sin. Do not remind him of his sin and do not tell other people, you know what my husband did? And you go around to everyone telling what your husband did or telling what your wife did. Forgive. Forgive. And if those thoughts come up again of what your husband did to you, what your wife did to you, then pray that the Lord would bless you, that person. And pray that the Lord would bless your marriage if you're rebuilding. To would bless your marriage. And thank the Lord for His forgiveness. And thank the Lord for restoration. And then remind yourself of what Jesus taught us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus then goes on in verse 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. If you do not forgive your brother, if you do not forgive others their trespasses or their sins, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. 
Or if you do forgive, so will your Father forgive you. So leave it with the Lord. Cast your burden on the Lord. Father, I lust. Take that burden and give it to the Lord in prayer. And say, Lord, this is too heavy to bear. I cannot carry this. I cannot bear this. And then if you take it back 12 o'clock this afternoon, then you, take, then you say, Lord, I've taken it back. Here it is again. And if you take it back tonight before you go to bed because those thoughts, you can see the wheels turning and the gears turning inside. Then you give it back to the Lord and say, Lord, I must not bear this. I cannot bear this. It is too heavy. And you think of the Lord's love for you. And you see the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus, especially when you come next Sunday evening, when you come and this table is set, not with flowers, but with bread and with the fruit of the vine, grape juice. When you see the blood of Jesus shed for you and the forgiveness and the love of Christ for you, when did Jesus love you? Did Jesus start loving you when you repented and became a good person? No, Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. This is how we came to know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. He gave his life for the brothers. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as the propitiation for our sins, die versoening vir ons sondes, the, the fixing, the mending, the putting together, Jesus taking the judgment of God for us. And so you see the love of the Lord Jesus. I would encourage you to listen to sermons. Sermons, preke. Listen to sermons on the cross. There's a very good sermon by Alistair Begg, a Scottish preacher. I can't remember the title, but Alistair Begg, I just saw the short clip where Alistair Begg, he says, you can just imagine the thief on the cross. And as that thief, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And you see the thief on the cross. And as he dies, he opens his eyes. And there he is at the gates of heaven, the heavenly city. And you see the angel coming. He said, what are you doing here? And he says, I don't know. And he says, did you, did you finish Sunday school? What Sunday school? What? No, I didn't, I didn't go to Sunday school. Didn't you, didn't you go to a Bible college? Didn't you, uh, do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone? He said, what's that? <laughs> Don't you understand that? And then the angel goes and he calls his supervisor angel. And he says, talk to this man. And then he asks him a, a load of questions. And the thief on the cross, the guy who just died, he says, I don't know. Who said you could come? Why are you here? And then the thief says, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Mm. Listen to that sermon. I'll have to find the title or, or maybe give you a link. My mother has it, she says. Uh, another sermon, excellent sermon on the cross is by C.J. Mahaney. Mahaney is M A H. A-N-E-Y, Mahaney. And the sermon is called The Cup. I heard a preacher say it's probably one of the best sermons ever preached in the English language. I watched that sermon. Oh, it was moving. What a moving sermon. Or maybe read a sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones called The Acid Test. Just the, the Acid Test. It's all about the cross. And you think... You think, you set your mind thinking of the Lamb of God, a man butchered on a cross, a man covered in blood, hanging on a cross for your and my sin. And then you say, I can forgive my wife. I can forgive my husband as God forgave me. I can love as Christ loved me. Verse 1, go again, Hosea, love a woman loved by another man and who is an adulteress, just as, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So you see, you see a preview of this in verse 2. In verse 2, here's Hosea, he goes and he buys back his wife. He buys her back. She's a slave now. She's in the slave market. He pays 15 pieces of silver, 15 shekels, shekels of silver, silver coins. And then the other half, because the, the price for a slave is 30 pieces of silver, according to Exodus 21, verse 32. So he gives 15 in cash, and then he's got 
got some barley, and if you count that together, it's 330 liters of barley. A kind of wheat. And so he pays with that. How did this woman become a slave? Well, the guy dumped her. The guy she committed adultery with. He dumps her. He's, now she's sold as a slave. She didn't expect that. She didn't see that one coming. And you, you know many people who committed adultery, who commit adultery, they don't think that that person's going to dump me one day. They think this fling, this affair, it's all wonderful. The person loves me. Listen, that man who commits adultery with you does not love you. He does not love you. He does not care for you. He'll dump you when he's done with you. He'll, he'll throw you away like a filthy rag. All he cares about is his lusts. He wants to satisfy his lusts, his sexual desire. That's what he cares about. His wife is cold toward him. He has a woman who's interested in him. Listen, that woman who commits adultery with you, she does not love you. She doesn't care about you. All she wants is security because her own husband doesn't give it to her. Now she's got security. Someone cares. Someone gives me the security. And that's why many women fall for men with money. Because there's security. It's not love. Don't fall for it. Don't believe it. It'll be like verse 2. Here's the woman. She's in the slave market. How did she end there? Because the guy never loved her. He didn't care about her. And she was stupid enough to think, this guy really cares, he doesn't. And you see it, you see this kind of thing when adultery happens. You see it when a, a woman, a, a marriage that starts out, uh, it's built on a, an adulterous affair. A marriage like that doesn't last long. I mean, it's just, a, it's not even a year and you see that second marriage break up. Why? Because it wasn't built on love in the first place was built on selfishness. The man thought, what can I get from this woman? And the woman thought, what can I get from this man? And so it won't last. Christian marriages are different. A, a true Christian marriage is built on biblical love. It's built on love like Hosea has for this woman. Even though she's been unfaithful, he goes back, the Lord says, buy this woman back, and he does so. He buys her back. You see, it costs him something. And if you're going to rebuild a marriage after adultery, it's going to cost you something. It cost him silver and barley. For you, it's, it's going to cost tears, and it's going to cost lots of prayer, and it's going to cost that you have to be able to forgive and it's going to cost sacrifice and it's going to cost effort to fix this marriage how hard it may be now last week and the and two weeks before that i preached on divorce and i said to you that matthew 19 verse 9 when there's sexual sin that is grounds for divorce you have a biblical reason to get divorced but if you say i don't want to take that option I want to rebuild my marriage. If you do that, do it with all your heart. Don't say, I'm going to rebuild this marriage, and a year later you say, oh, I made a mistake, I'm now going to get divorced. No, choose what you want to do. Choose your biblical option in Matthew 19, verse 9, and say, I've got grounds for divorce, or say, I'm going to rebuild this marriage, and if you say that, then do it with all your heart. Just like Jesus put in everything for you and for me, when he was sold for 30 pieces of silver, like a slave. When he gave his life, when he gave his all to save us from our sins and to make us, the church, his bride. And it's by that very same marriage that a broken, uh, or that very same death on a cross, that a broken marriage can be restored by the grace of God and by the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Just like the, the principle we find in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, whatever the locusts have destroyed, I will restore, says the Lord. And so he can restore also a broken marriage. Second word. Now, in Afrikaans, it's one word. I think in English, two words. Uh, growing pains. Growing pains. When you do rebuild that marriage. That's in verse 3. Now, my wife and I, we've been married for almost 18 years. And we are very happily married by the grace of God. Uh, both of us are happily married. And 
the longer we are married, the better it gets. It wasn't like that for the first five to seven years of our marriage. Now, we are not people who raise our voices and shout at one another or uh, fight, but the first five to seven years was difficult to get to. You, you have to get to know the other person. Let me give you one example. I've given this in a sermon, I think. So these are petty things and little things. My family, when we have Christmas, everyone just does his own thing. So two are sitting here watching cricket, and one is sitting there reading a book, and one is lying on the bed sleeping, and the other one's just sitting outside under the tree. Uh, maybe two people sitting there. So that's what my family's like. Her family, we have to be together the whole day, every day. Sitting outside, playing board games, or chatting, or listening to music, or whatever. So I got a book for Christmas by John Piper, Desiring God. And so it's, it's my in-laws turn for Christmas and we at my sister-in-law's house and they gave me a book. What do you do when you get a book? You read it. And so I lay in the room reading my book and my sister-in-law said to Deirdre, is Ivor angry at us? <laughs> now, luckily she knew. No, no, he got a book, but please, will you come and sit outside with us? So those were the little things we needed to sort out. So it wasn't easy the first five years. I would say two, seven years, but maybe, maybe the first five years, because then I went on a, a very good counseling course and I got, I got marriage counseling. <laughs> All right, so there were growing pains. We needed to find each other. That's what it like. This is what it was like for Hosea and Gomer when they had to, when they, when they rebuilt their marriage. So in verse 3, Hosea says, I say to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so also will I be to you. you. You must stay in the house for a whole month. And now that doesn't say a month, but we read that in Deuteronomy 21 verse 10 to 13, that in a situation like that, this principle goes that the wife stays in the house for a month. She can't go shopping. She can't go to the market, to the mall, uh, because there are other men, other men there and she's been unfaithful. And then Hosea says the same, I will be to you. In other words, there aren't, there's not going to be sexual relations for a month, according to Deuteronomy 21. And then after that, they would come together. I wonder if this is the kind of principle in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5, where Paul says, a husband and wife discuss, and they agree, right, for a period of time, no sexual relations, and we're going we're gonna to devote that time to prayer. We'll spend time in prayer. So the principle I want to draw from that and the lesson, the application is, you, if you've been unfaithful to your husband or to your wife, you must understand sexual relations, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to take time to sort out and to work through the issues. That's the one side. The other side is, you can't do that indefinitely. That can't be You can't do it indefinitely. There has to come a time like Hosea says, right, for some days, this is going to happen many days, but it's not forever. You need to work on that issue. You need to deal with that issue. You need to restore that issue. That's one of the helps God gives in a marriage, so you don't have to look at other women or other men, that God has given you someone. Now, how do you know? All right, we are ready now, and sexual relations can be restored. This is how you know, and this is how you work on it. You don't start with sex. You start with rebuilding trust. Rebuilding trust. So don't get angry if your wife doesn't trust you immediately. You were unfaithful to her, or the other way around. You were unfaithful. She's not going to trust you immediately. It's going to take time to rebuild trust. So be patient and work hard at rebuilding trust. And the way you do that is by being honest and by being open, even in the little things. You don't say, I'm going to the shop quickly, but then you go to the shop and then you go to the golf course and to a friend. Be honest. If you say you're going to the shop, go to the shop and come home. And if you, if you start being honest in little things, then your wife or your husband will start trusting you in greater things. So say where you're going. Even if they didn't ask, say, I'm going to do this. And then also come home immediately after work. 
and don't work overtime and don't stay at work long if you can help it. Otherwise, you're just going to cause them to start being suspicious. Why is she not home? Why is she still away? She said she'll just be an hour. Then you're going to cause suspicion. You're going to must not make it till after daughter Who can say anything? And that that doesn't help. That doesn't build trust. It breaks trust. And then, very important, break all contact with that outside party, that third party, that person you had the adulterous affair with. Break all contact. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8. Do not go near the door of her house. Uh, Genesis 39, verse 10. Joseph refused to even be with a woman, with Potiphar's wife. So don't say, I, I just want to be friends with her still. I just want to be friends with him on Facebook still. They're going through a hard time. It's very difficult, you know. And she's threatened. She says she's going to commit suicide if I break up the relationship. Listen, you are not the, that woman's savior. You are not her Messiah, or you're not that man's Messiah, personal Savior. If you keep contact with a person, what do you expect your husband to think? What do you expect your wife to think? They're going to think there's something still going on there. I remember a woman saying that to me. Well, she didn't use those exact words, but what happened was the husband had committed adultery, the wife caught him, and then he said he's bro he broke it off, and then he went again and contacted the woman. That's going to break trust. Remove the person from your friends list on Facebook. Block them on your phone. Block their number or remove their number or change your phone number if you must. And then give your wife or give your husband access to your computer, to your cell phone, to your bank account. No hiding of anything. Don't hide stuff. Install free software. You can get free software. You install it on your phone or you install it on, on your computer that your wife knows what you're doing, what you're watching, who you're contacting. Don't hide things. Say, I'm, I'm open. And then get rid of gifts. If that woman has given you a watch, get rid of I don't care if it's a Swiss watch. Give it away. Get rid of it. If that man has bought you perfume, you get rid of that perfume. Get rid of anything that will make you think back and long to go back to that sin. And then you phone that person. But you have your husband standing right next to you, or your wife, or your pastor, or one of the elders of the church, or a trusted Christian friend. And you contact that woman and you say it's over. Or you contact that man and you say we're done. Now maybe you're the innocent party, he is onschuldig, and niet. Niemand van ons is totaal onschuldig. Ons het ook maar ander sondes. Nee, maar ek praat nou van met echtbreek. Maybe you're the innocent party. Please, don't play the policeman. Where you phone your wife every hour. Where are you? What are you doing? You're gonna, they feel caged in and they feel like I'm in a jail and I want to break free. So don't do that. Only God is with your husband 24-7. You are not. Only God is with your wife 24-7. You are not. So leave it in the Lord's hands. You do what you can, you hold them accountable, and if they're going to be unfaithful again, God's going to bring it out. They won't hide it. They'll try and hide it. Numbers says in 32 verse 23, your sin will find you out. And then please don't share your marriage problems. If you're the innocent party, yet your husband or your wife has been unfaithful, don't share your marriage problems with the opposite sex. Now yeah. Yeah, your, your husband's been unfaithful, and now you go and talk to another man and unburden yourself, and you share your hearts and your marriage problems. What's going to happen? An emotional bond. And probably you're going to fall into a trap of sexual sin. So be careful of that. And another thing, uh, another principle here is, don't try and figure out, why did my husband leave me for her? I'm much prettier than she is. Listen. <laughs> Sin makes you stupid, and it makes you do stupid things. Mark your own whistle. So what I'm trying to, or the reason I'm saying that is because here's a wife, her husband has been unfaithful, how did he fall for her? And then you start beating up yourself for, what, for your husband's sin. Oh, it's because I'm a bad wife. And this. Don't beat yourself up for your husband or your wife's sin. Now, if there is something where you know you have been uh, you have been disobedient to the Lord. You are guilty. For instance, 
you withheld sex from your husband, so I'm not giving it to you. And eventually he found it somewhere else. If, you've, if you did that, then you do go to the Lord and you say, Lord, forgive me. And you confess the sin and you move on. Don't sit in a corner licking your wounds. And then don't go onto Facebook looking for the other woman. Who's this woman? Is this the woman? And you try and find out everything about the woman. Don't do that. And don't contact her husband. You know, can you and I go for a coffee? I want to discuss the issue with you. Leave the woman's husband or, or leave that man's wife. Don't talk about the issues to them. And then don't go fishing for detail. You want all the nasty detail about what happened. When did you do it? How many times did you do it? Where did you do it? What did you do? Does she do it better than I do it? You know what's going to happen if you got that information? Do you know what's going to happen? Nothing. It won't help you a bit. It's only going to lead to bitterness and make you more angry. And here's an important principle. Now you're rebuilding your marriage and then eventually you think things are going okay. Hey, things are going better now. Yes, there are times I still feel bitter and I need to fight it. But actually we... It's like we're happy again and the relationship is being restored slowly but surely. And then what does is, what is the husband do? Let's say his wife was guilty. Then he thinks, I'm not going to hold her accountable anymore. I trust her. Now, I know you want to trust her. But if you want to show that woman, I really want to work on this marriage, then hold her accountable. No. Hold her accountable because in that way you're protecting her against temptation. And you're also showing, I really want to save this marriage. Here's a suggestion I have. I'm not saying you must do this because the Bible doesn't say you must do this. But I want to strongly suggest this. That once you've rebuilt this marriage and you're in the process of rebuilding, renew your marriage vows. And don't do it in the kitchen while your wife's cooking. (laughs) Don't do it in the kitchen. Don't do it in the lounge. Do it officially where there are witnesses present and do it before the Lord. And then have an, an official document where you sign and your husband or wife signs and you frame it and you put it in your house. And then talk about your sexual relationship also. So I preached a sermon some weeks ago on sexual fulfillment from the book of, from Song of Solomon, Wichlid. Go back to that sermon. Work through it. And work through all the texts. Or read a book by C.J. Mahaney called Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God. Or a very good chapter. Uh, Robert Smith is a medical doctor and a biblical counselor. He wrote a book called The Christian Counselor's Medical Desk Reference. He's got a, a chapter there on sexual problems, which will prove very helpful in a situation like that. Okay, last word, number three, hope. Whip, hope. Verse four and five. When your husband or your wife is unfaithful, they've committed adultery, the moment you find out, it's like your whole world comes crashing down and you think there's no hope. I remember in two cases of women whose husbands committed adultery. Again, they didn't use those exact words, but it boiled down to that. It's like my whole life is now destroyed. It's ruined. And you think there's no hope of ever rebuilding and restoring this. And that's what the Israelites felt like, right? But that's what you feel like. You're at the Red Sea. Where can you go? The Egyptians are coming. The mountains are this side. The desert is that side. The sea is behind you. There's nowhere to go. And God is a God who makes a way when there seems to be no way. When actually not only seems, when there is no other way. God can make a way. And that's what he did in Hosea chapter 3 to Israel. So in verse 4 you see, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. There's no hope. There's no hope. That is talking about the Israelites. I almost said the Australians. (laughs) There was rugby this afternoon. (laughs) It's like the Israelites 
being taken into captivity. This was in the year 722 BC. 720 years, 22 years before Jesus came. They were taken to another country, Assyria, the Assyrian Empire. They were taken to the north, to cities like Nineveh, where Jonah went. And here they are, and it says in our verse, for many days they will be without king. Did you know that Israel has never had a king? I'm talking about the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was Judah. They went to Babylon in 586 BC. But the northern kingdom, they never came back to Israel. Never. To this day. The southern kingdom returned to Jerusalem. So here these tribes never returned. Many days without a king. Many days without a prince. Many days, it says, without an ephod. An ephod is a, a earphod, it's a, a vest. So it's a vesi, a froki. The, the priests wore that. Uh, so in other words, he's saying there are going to be no priests. There won't be temple service. There won't be worship at the temple for you anymore. There won't be temple sacrifices. For many days without sacrifice. And then it even says many days without household gods. Now we shouldn't worship household gods. God, little idols you hold in your house. Um, and pillars, pilara. Because they worshipped false gods through these pillars and they worshipped false gods, these little idols, these statues they had in their homes. So God is saying, you will not again worship the gods of the Canaanites. You're going to another country. But there was hope for Israel. There was hope that they would return. It says in verse 5, afterward the children of Israel shall return. Now please, don't make a mistake here. Hosea is not saying, and I won't fight with you about this because I myself believe, uh, and I've got very good friends who are now going to frown, and even some of you uh, who might, because I believe that, that many, many Jews will be converted in the future. But this verse is not saying they're going to return to the land in 1948, although they did, many Jews did go back to Israel in 1948. This verse is saying, where are they returning? What did verse 1 say? Where did, from whom did they turn away? From God to worship idols. Where are they going to return now? To God. They're going to worship to the true God. And they're going to turn to the Messiah, to David their king. The king from the line of David, the Messiah, Jesus. They return. They will return and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's my point? My point is, if you are going to rebuild a marriage after adultery, you must return where? To God before you return home. To God. Return to the Lord Jesus and seek Him until you find Him and honor Him and fear Him and respect Him and revere Him, reverence and all, like you would fear a, a terrifying storm. Verse 5. The children of Israel shall return to seek the Lord their God and David the king. They shall come in fear. What kind of fear? I just explained to you what kind of fear. The fear you will have of a terrifying storm. What kind of fear is that? You know it can destroy. But you also know it brings good things. And that's the kind of fear you have for God. You know he can destroy but you also know he gives good things. And that's why verse 5 ends, they will return not only in fear, but to his goodness in the latter days, to his goodness. So Israel will do that, and you do the same. You do the same. You tremble before God. Why? Because if you've committed adultery, you have sinned against the Holy One. You have sinned against a holy God who hates sin. And so you come with trembling, but also, verse 5, you return to His goodness. Because He is good to everyone, and He forgives everyone who believes in His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can almost now end your brain, switch off your brain about the topic of adultery for a moment. Let's just talk in general now. 
There is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ for the greatest sinner. Paul said that, I am the chief of sinners. Acts die grootste sondag. And there's patience, the perfect patience of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus to forgive. There is forgiveness. There is this restoration. You read it, Ruth. Jesus said to the woman, go and from now on sin no more. Jesus forgave that thief on the cross in the final hours of his life. Jesus saved him. Jesus prayed just before that, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And that goes for any kind of sinner, any kind of sinner, also for people who commit adultery. Seek the Lord while he may be found. For you tonight, maybe you haven't committed adultery. What sin is it? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And that verse ends, for he will abundantly pardon. Oorvloedige sy vergifnis. Your sin does not match up to the grace of the Lord Jesus. Your sin can never be greater than the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So turn to him, why not tonight? Why not you watching online? You're sitting in your lounge. You're sitting in your room. You're in despair. Your kop hang. Turn to the Lord Jesus right now and you will be forgiven. You will be saved. Isn't that what Paul says? Paul gives a list of, list of sins in 1 Corinthians 6. He praat van homoseksuelis, van echtbrekers, van diewe, van mense wat geldgierig is, mense wat dronkaards is, mense wat steel. And then he says, and such were some of you. You have been washed. You were justified. You were sanctified by the Spirit of our God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hmm? Peter, you told the story of, and you guys who were at mess yesterday, heard the story of those guys and what they did. Now they were in jail for murder and for what other sins? And they now followers of Jesus. So don't despair. And from now on, go and sin no more. Fear the, fear the Lord. Verse 5. Fear the Lord. You come in fear to your God so that you will not be unfaithful again. And you acknowledge His goodness. Verse 5. And do not believe the lie of the devil. Because it's Satan who whispers to you and says, did you know God is keeping good things from you? Why did God say you can only... Eat of all the trees. What about this tree? God is, God is spiteful. He's a killjoy. God wants to withhold. Hey, why this wife? Look at that woman. That woman will make you happy. You're not happy. He's a liar. So why not, why not thank the Lord? Thank the Lord. Thank Him for His forgiveness. Thank Him that He's given you another chance. If you've been, if you are guilty of adultery or what other sin, He's given you a chance. Thank Him for His love. Listen, thank Him that His love for you is more steadfast than the mountains. Isaiah 54 verse 10, these mountains will waver. The Lord's love is steadfast. It does not waver. It does not, it's not shaken. It does not move. You're on my love. Oh, it wavers. Today I love the Lord Jesus. Tomorrow I'm down in the dumps. Today I love the Lord Jesus. Tomorrow I'm so depressed I can't help myself. The Lord's love is not like that. The Lord's love is steadfast. It's a rock you can build on. So pray and say, Lord, pour your love into my heart. Romans 5 verse 5. Pour your love into my heart and help me to love my husband. Help me to love my wife even though they've been unfaithful. And then be, be faithful to your wife. Be faithful to your husband, even in your thoughts. Even in your thoughts. Isn't that where adultery starts? Didn't Jesus say it starts in the heart, starts in the mind? So be faithful there. So if you, as soon as you, you start daydreaming, capture those thoughts and think of your own wife. Think of your own husband. And start thanking the Lord for them. All right? Are you the innocent party? Let me say this. God could have kept your husband from committing adultery. 
Hey, cool. Genesis 20, verse 6. Here's a man. He takes another man's wife. And then God speaks to him in a dream and said, I'm going to kill you. You've taken another man's wife. And he said, Lord, I didn't know it's another man's wife. And I promise I didn't touch her. And God said, yes, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. So God kon keer dat jou man echt breek pleeg of jou vrou. Why didn't he? Must I give you the answer? I don't know. I don't know. All that I know is that God can even use the sin of other people that they've committed against you. God can even use that sin and bring good things from it. God can even use the sin of evil brothers who sell Joseph into slavery and God can bring good things from it. God can even use the evil of people who take a hammer and nails and drive it through the hands and feet of the Son of God and murder the Son of God and He can bring good things from it so that you and I are here tonight worshipping Jesus because He saved us by His death on a cross. God can bring good things. So when you see your situation, and I close with this, do not only see this dark clouds. It's not donker. The terrible thing has happened. My wife has had an affair. My husband has committed adultery. That is a dark cloud. But do not only see the dark cloud. See the silver lining. And remember, when you see that silver lining, there's a bright sun shining behind those clouds. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Our Father in heaven, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Oh, help your broken people, wounded people, and restore them, Lord. Even people who are trying to fix a broken marriage. Oh, Lord, when we try to fix things, often we make it worse. Please, will you not intervene? Will you step in and fix that broken marriage? Whoever it may be tonight, here or online or someday listening to the recording, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.